Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We are happy to be with you. Mm-hmm. Christopher's just back from one of his favorite activities, which is backpacking. He went backpacking. Took a fall backpacking trip with two of my sons, a friend from my days in Denver, and his son, and one other friend. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that was no two other friends. Two other friends. Yeah. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Your friend and Isaac's friend. Oh, right. That's yes, how it that's goes. right. So okay. we had seven people total on this little jaunt into the woods. Three nights, four days of hiking. I think the last time I told a story about a backpacking trip was the story about nearly stepping on mating rattlesnakes. Oh, that's right. No rattlesnakes this time. Good. We did have a little rain, which is never fun on a backpacking trip. But backpacking is kind of, you take it as it comes. It's it's a, a real lesson in the interior life for me. Backpacking has become a kind of sacrament of the interior journey. There are ups, the downs, literally, up and down mountains. Um, hardships like rain, uh, cold, but then you you accomplish something great and you know you've made progress and you can rejoice in that and you can rest for a while and then you keep going. There's there's something very significant to me about doing yeah, all that. And you come back refreshed. Even though I'm spent, yeah. I come back refreshed, generally speaking. <laughs> Feeling a little sore today, but yes, generally refreshed. Thank you, Lord, for creation. Yes. Here's another little insight that all of creation points to Mary in the sense that Mary is the pinnacle of the created order. Obviously, all of creation points to the creator, mm-hmm. um, but uh, a step in that journey towards the creator we go from lesser creation to greater creation, and the greatest of all that's been created is the Blessed Mother. She is the pinnacle of the created order. She is, you know, all of creation is feminine, and Mary is the summation of that feminine mystery of creation. And walking through the woods to me is like walking into the mystery of Mary's heart. Mm. And all the beauties that you encounter in creation is. It's like a somehow a, I don't know, a glimmer of, of Eden, a glimmer of Mary's heart, and I love how some of the saints and mystics have compared Mary and Eden. They've said Mary is the new Eden, and just like the first Adam came out of Eden, mm-hmm. right out of the ground, birthed from Eden, the new Adam is birthed from the new Eden, which is Mary. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the very word for Eden. Uh, if you were to translate it literally, would be something like fertile pleasure park. Mm. And you're out in God's creation in in all of this fertile glory. And it does, if you have the eyes to see it, it reminds you of Mary, reminds me of Mary. So go out and get in nature, Mm. soak it up, let it lead you to the crown of creation and let her lead you to the creator. Awesome stuff. It is. So Thanks, Wendy, for letting for you. me do that. Yeah, it was. I am always happy for you to just have that pause from all the normal routines. There's no cell signal. You yeah. just 
you know, no email, no anything, just uh, something that's really good for you. I love it. And do you have any updates on TOB Institute? I do. First update, maybe you've seen this on Facebook. I just wanted to mention it. Uh, Mike Mangione, who is the director of our live events and our resident artist, uh, musician that is, he has been very sick with COVID in the hospital, in ICU. It was touch and go for a while. And we were really, really praying for him. And he has pulled through. Thanks be to God. Mm. His whole family got COVID. They were at home. Uh, they are also recovering. They didn't have to go to the hospital. Mike got COVID and pneumonia. It was brutal. And we were we were really wrestling with the Lord. Please, Lord, don't take him. Don't take him. Don't take him. I, I have a, a much greater connection with all of you out there who have suffered losses or been through really, really difficult cases of COVID with loved ones or yourself. Man, I was feeling it. He has come through. Thanks be to God. He is on the mend. He is going to be okay. I talked to him on the phone today for a good while, and uh, he was at peace in a way that I hadn't heard before. He had really encountered the Lord in a deep way in his sufferings and there was some real deep work, spiritual work that happened in Mike's heart. And I just want to thank God for all that he did to, to get Mike mm. through this. And thank mm-hmm. you for those who may have been following on Facebook and for your prayers for Mike. Very grateful. Yeah. One more thing about the Institute. Uh, we're getting down to the wire for registration for our pilgrimage to Mexico City, December 2nd to the 7th. I hope I have those dates right. I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, Check out the link in the show notes to learn more Uh, for those who are listening to this podcast in the future. We're in the year 2021. Correct. (laughs) So December 2nd to the 7th, 2021. If you want to come join us, if you want to dive into the mystery of Our Lady of Guadalupe and what she means for the new evangelization and the theology of the body, you're going to want to join us. Check out the link and uh, let it be if you're meant to come. Trust that uh, all things will work together and it'll work for your life financially, uh, taking off work, babysitters for young kids, whatever. If you're meant to come, trust it to Our Lady of Guadalupe. If you're meant to come, she will arrange it for you. Mm. Are you ready for a question? Let's do it. Question from one of our patrons. This is from Jacqueline. Hello, Jacqueline. Jacqueline says, I'm a college student taking a class on the Holocaust. And I've been struck not only by the horror of the atrocities against human life, but also the overall idea of personhood, specifically in the forced sterilizations of the so-called mm, feeble-minded. Yeah. There's a book written in 1920 called Allowing the Destruction of Life Unworthy of Life. Just that title breaks my heart. I can see how theology of the body speaks so much to this topic, and I'm wondering... If the events of the Holocaust and eugenics movement had any impact on Pope John Paul II, I know he played a role in healing after World War II, but is there anything in his writings that would suggest the Holocaust might have played a role in his talks on theology of the body? What a wonderful question. I, I, I love to dive into this because there is a connection. He, he hasn't spoken specifically to my knowledge uh, directly connecting what he says in the theology of the body with what he went through in Poland as a young man, um, where some of his friends, his countrymen, his professors, priests he knew, were hauled off and and thrown into the gas chambers at Auschwitz, which was 
near where he lived in Poland. And in fact, he he lived with the, the stench of the burning bodies hovering in the air. It could rain ashes mm. from the burning bodies of his friends and countrymen who were killed at Auschwitz. Uh, again, I haven't read anything where he directly connected those dots, but there's no doubt, and George Weigel makes a beautiful case for this in his uh, book, Witness to Hope, the biography of John Paul II, which if you haven't given that a read, please spend some time with that book. It's it's a tome, uh, 800 pages or something like that, but I think I've read it twice, and, and it's just jam-packed with stories about the life of, of Wojtyla, obviously, being a biography of him. But Weigel makes the case that Wojtyla's experience of the Holocaust, going through that horror in Poland, compelled him while his contemporaries concluded life is absurd. Mm. Wojtyla pressed deeply into questions about good and evil, about life and death, about the dignity of the human being. Wojtyla took that up as a challenge to ask the really big questions about existence. And he ended in that quest, in that search, with an unshakable conviction about the dignity of what it means to be human that he carried with him into everything he did, everything he taught, everything he believed, uh, the way he, he lived his priesthood, the way he ministered to others, what he wrote about, what he talked about. He brought that with him into his pontificate, and you can certainly see that is precisely what he is defending and upholding in the theology of the body, is the dignity of the human person as human personhood is expressed in and through the human body. Mm. And in fact, pressing into this question of, of evil and why is it here, where does it come from, Wojtyla concluded that at the deepest roots of ethics and culture, we discover the relationship of man and woman. It's, it's a remarkable assertion, but, but it's not outlandish. In fact, it's very uh, understandable and very well-reasoned when you recognize that the fundamental cell of society is the family, and the origin of the family is the union of man and woman. So we could put it this way. If society has a cancer, we have to treat that cancer at the cellular level. And this fundamental cell of society is the family, but Wojtyla goes even a step further, and he says, we have to go into the nucleus of the cell mm. to treat that cancer. And the, the nucleus of the cell, the fundamental cell being the family, fundamental cell of society, the nucleus of that cell, the nucleus of the family, is the union of man and woman in sexual intercourse. It is the very wellspring of human life. And if that wellspring is poisoned, then that's going to give us a, a, a view of human life that is poisoned. If the wellspring is flowing from the very springs of the way God sees the dignity of human life and the dignity of the union of man and woman as the origin of human life, then that dignity will follow through and paint the way you see all of human existence. Uh, Carol Wojtyla understood that deeply, profoundly, he was, he was compelled to press into that precisely of the, because of the horrors he lived through 
in the Holocaust. And so we can make those connections. And I think Jacqueline is is very wise and insightful to to propose that there is a connection and she's not wrong to do so because there really is. Yeah, I was really struck by that um, book title. Jacqueline mentioned uh, destruction of life, unworthy of life. Um, that just the contradiction there. Um, and I think that obviously is a whole mindset that's, you know, justifying the Holocaust yes. and many other things. And as she mentioned, eugenics, um, so heartbreaking. And the very concept of any life being unworthy of life, it, it's denying the giver of life, you know. He, yes. And um, that that sense of who is our source and how has he chosen to give life and how beautiful then is the work of God and how much Amen. we need to honor it. Amen. And all, all human life, how beautiful it is. When we understand the dignity of the embrace of man and woman in mm. the conjugal act, yeah. then we understand the dignity of the life that springs from it. Even when that life is compromised, even when that child may suffer whatever kind of disabilities, uh, physically or mentally, every human life is valuable. And we know that when we know the value of the marital act. We can go the other direction too. When we know the value of life, we know the value of the act that brings life into being. It goes both directions. And I'm reminded here of a quote from Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life, uh, the encyclical of John Paul II from 1995, if I'm correct on the year, I think I am, where he says, it is an illusion to think we can build a true culture of life, a culture where every life is respected in its dignity. It's an illusion to think we can do that unless we come to acknowledge and experience human sexuality, love, and the whole of life according to their true meaning and their close interconnection. Mm. Think about that. We must come to uh, recognize and experience sexuality, love, and the whole of life according to their true meaning and their close interconnection. Think how interconnected human sexuality love and the whole of human life are when we understand that interconnection when we understand the dignity of human life and how it is connected to the dignity of the joining of man and woman in the marital embrace it paints the way you see the whole world you see the whole world through the lens of of god's creative declaration behold it is very good Behold, it is very good. John Paul II even says in his Theology of the Body, uh, the marital embrace, when it is lived according to God's intention, it is a participation in that, that, that rejoicing in creation that God uh, exemplified when he said, Behold, it is very good. Uh, that's what the marital embrace is supposed to be saying both to spouse, you're saying that to your spouse or you're meant to be, Behold, you are very good, and mm -hmm. your spouse is meant to be saying that to you. Behold, you are very good. 
And it is very good the way God made you. It is very good that this act that we are rejoicing in can bring new life into the world. And if that's all true, then the life that comes into the world, behold, it is very good. Mm. Conversely, you can begin to see when you insert contraception into that embrace, you're inserting a, a, a behold, it's not good that life would come. Right. Uh, I don't like the way God made you. I don't like the way that God designed you that if we had sex, you can get pregnant. That, that's a, a negative. That's a, that's a mark against that goodness, that declaration of the goodness of being, of the goodness of existence, of the goodness of the way God made sex. Uh, we are inserting a, a, a contradiction, a, a negation of that goodness with contraception. And you can, you can begin to see if you play that out, that paints the world in a very different light. And it paints the world in the hue, if you will, that we see today where human life is not acknowledged in its dignity and not honored in its dignity. So Jacqueline, good on you for recognizing those connections. And I also want to say, Jacqueline, thank you so much for being a patron. We, we can't do the work we do here at the TOB Institute without patrons like you who support what we do. And uh, any other patrons out there, if you're listening and you want to get your question to be first in the queue, uh, go to your patron website and click on in the menu where you can ask a question through the patron website, and it gets you a much better chance that we'll actually be able to answer your question here on our podcast. Thank you, Jacqueline. God bless you. Mm -hmm. Our next question is from a listener named Megan. Hello, Megan. Megan says, this is urgent. My parents have been married for 32 years, and just recently my dad finally told my mom that he has had a porn addiction. Mercy. And has Mercy. been masturbating for over 20 years. Mercy. Mercy. His admission has set off a huge destructive bomb in their relationship. Mercy. My dad went to confession, and they had a priest from our hometown come over and meet with both of them. My dad is going to be getting counseling, but at this point, I still really do not know what is going to happen. I'm so deeply worried and concerned that my parents are going to get a divorce. My mom says she doesn't know if she can ever recover from this damage. I know I cannot do anything about it other than pray because this is not really my issue. It is greatly impacting me, though. Despite what my dad has done, I still love him. Mm. I want to offer him mercy because he seems like he wants to get help to overcome mm. his addiction now. Mm. I gave my dad a couple of books to read. One was your book, Theology of the Body for Beginners. The other was the 33-Day Consecration to St. Joseph. I want to believe that my dad can find healing and recovery from his addictions. Is there any way that you can help me? I'm 23 years old, and I'm so hurt by this. I have no idea what to do. Bless you, Megan. Bless you. Bless you. I hear in your question, Megan, a real maturity. I hear just your, your willingness to forgive your father, your desire to forgive your father. That is a mark of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That does not come from, uh, from our broken humanity. It, the, the, the will to forgive is mm. a grace. Yes. So be assured, Megan, the Holy Spirit is already alive and well 
in your heart, in your willingness to forgive your father. The recognition also of the, the devastation is a sign of, of a certain maturity. And not just chalking this off as, you know, as we hear in the culture, well, men will be men, that's what men do, it's not that big. A, no, no, no. It is a big deal. And your mom is not overreacting here to be devastated by this. It has been a serial adultery of the heart. That's what this has been. And, and it is devastating. Here is the good news. The cross goes deeper than all of this devastation. The cross has, Jesus, the cross, when you say that, the cross, it can sound abstract. No, Jesus, the person of Christ, in his humanity and divinity, wed in his person, Christ has already born in his sacred heart this very suffering. Not in some general, Christ came to take all the suffering of humanity. No, no, no. Megan, he has borne your suffering. Mm. He has borne your mother's suffering. He has borne your father's suffering. And he already has. He's not up in heaven conjuring up some, oh, what are we going to do now? No, no. He has already borne this, and he has already established a plan to bring glory out of this horror. Mm. And Megan, you can be part of that. How can you be part of that? You can be part of that, Megan, by offering your sufferings, which are very real, Yes. by uniting your very real sufferings with the sufferings that Christ has already borne for you, for your mom, for your dad. Uh, you, did she mention any siblings? I don't recall that she did. But. Um, yes, I, I didn't read it. But she did she mention, did mention I, okay. I sometimes do edit the questions. She does. She has five siblings. She's, okay, so your siblings are certainly going through, if they know of this situation, I imagine they do. I'm sure they're going through each their own kind of pain. Um, but you can unite your pain to Jesus on the cross. And I just have an image of you, Megan, as I'm saying this. And, and if, if it helps you, then I'd, I'd invite you to enter into this as an image that you could take to prayer. But I see you at the foot of the cross in the role of Mary, in the role of the one who is open and willing to receive the love that Christ is pouring out of his pierced heart. Christ's heart has been deeply pierced by this pain in your parents' marriage. And I don't know if you're familiar with the image of, it's called the nuptial crucifix or the unity cross. Uh, I, I often use it in my teachings, but this mystic artist who has um, depicted the crucifixion of the Lord has Mary at the foot of the cross with a, a, a chalice, and she is receiving the flow of blood and water from Christ's open side into that chalice. It's a symbol of her heart. It's a symbol of her bridal yes to the way the marriage of Christ and the church is consummated, which is through a bed of suffering. You, Megan, have the opportunity to place yourself right there with Mary, and even in a kind of mystical union as Mary, in receiving the outpouring of the blood and water from the open pierced heart of Christ 
into your heart. I would just invite you, if, if that seems uh, helpful to you, to place yourself there and, and to know that that is where divine mercy originates, in the pierced heart of Christ. And the word mercy here, there's a masculine sense of the word mercy and a feminine sense of the word mercy. The Latin for mercy is misericordia, and that means a heart that gives itself to those in misery. That's that's a more masculine sense. The bridegroom gives himself to those mm-hmm. in misery. The, the f- more feminine sense is from the Hebrew word rahamim, which is very close in the Hebrew language to the word womb. And so mercy, when we open to it, it always provides and affords the opportunity for a new birth. And that is the hope that I believe the Holy Spirit is breathing into your family, the opportunity for a new birth. This is a time, yes, of pain, but a time also where God's mercy is active and wants to breathe into you, to your siblings, to your mother, to your father, hope. And you, Megan, the more you open to that misericordia, you can be a witness to that rahamim in your own feminine heart as a daughter. You can show that mercy to your family, to your siblings, to your mother, to your father, and all they're going through. You can be a witness to hope, to quote the title of the biography of John Paul II, witness to hope. Uh, Wendy, what are your thoughts here? I I have a few more things I I may want to say, but I want to pass it to you to just so Megan can hear your heart. Thank you, and I also want to affirm Megan's um, instinct to give those books to her father. It's not just an instinct, it takes courage. You're a daughter, this is your father. And there's an admission in that exchange, in that giving of the books that says, you know, yes, he's your teacher as your father, but but he also has things he needs to learn as a man and to receive that from his daughter. There's something very touching to me about that. And I think they were beautiful choices, um, what Megan gave to her dad. You kept mentioning there about hope. And it's reminding me of a ministry called Hope's Garden. It's a, um, a Catholic ministry that is mostly taking place virtually online, although they may have some in-person events. But I think that Megan and her mother would both Mm, really benefit from um, looking into that ministry of Hope's Garden. I know that they actually have weekly support groups for people who have um, experienced something they call betrayal trauma, Mm. the betrayal of what you're talking about here, Megan, with your father's unfaithfulness um, through his addiction. Um, there are there are support groups where they just pray with one another as they're going. You know, each week they meet together. There are other many other resources um, that could be really helpful. So I want to mention that ministry. Yeah, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. Yeah. That's a good call, Wendy. I I would add um, there's a coaching ministry called Freedom Coaching. It's founded by a former student of mine, Steve Picorni, and 
Uh, a dear friend of mine has recently been trained by Freedom Coaching, Steve Motel, and he, I mean, they have a, a whole team of coaches there who help men to experience freedom from porn. That's mm -hmm. what they are devoted to. Uh, you could go to any of the, you could send your father, recommend that he go to any of the coaches who are available at Freedom Coaching, but I in particular would recommend either Steve Motel or Steve Percorny. So we'll have that link in the show notes as well to Freedom mm, Coaching. Yes. And please know, Megan, we are praying for you, for your mother, for your father, for your siblings. Wendy, maybe would you lead a prayer for, for their family? Sure. Lord, I just thank you for the gift of the light. You know, it can seem because there's so much suffering right now that um, that somehow this was maybe a bad thing, you know, that, that this has come out. But we know that the light is good and that as much as this is a time of confusion and pain, it's also a time of hope because that which was secretly causing a lot of destruction is now exposed and there's an opportunity for healing and a new foundation, a firm foundation to be established. I want to lift up each member of the family and all that they're going through right now of just feeling that shakenness and fear and uncertainty. And Lord, I ask you to please speak a word of consolation into each heart, especially into that father. The shame he is probably feeling, mm. um, having his secrets known and knowing that it's causing everyone pain. I, I lift him up to you, Lord, in a yes, particular Lord. way to just pour mercy upon him. Mercy, mercy. That, that mercy. mercy would allow him not to retreat back into secrets or darkness, but to stay in the light and to trust in a totally new way. The way that we have to come close to the Lord when we're going through something like this is new for us. And yet later looking back, I pray that they would see that this was the time when that mm. deeper trust in God, in, yes, Lord. in the reality of that personal relationship came into their family. Yes, so, Lord, I ask for that in your name. Yes, Lord. Wendy, as you were praying there, I just share this with you, Megan. I saw that image of you holding the chalice at the foot of the cross, and it was overflowing with Christ's blood and water. You were receiving that for your own heart first and foremost, but it was overflowing to your family. Uh, be not afraid, Megan, to be that overflowing chalice of divine mercy for your family. Bless you, bless you. You will remain in our prayers, Megan. Our next question is from an anonymous listener who says, I've hated my body for about half of my life now. No matter how hard I try, I can't get over the idea that I need to be stick skinny or else I'm ugly. Mercy, mercy. I wish desperately I could see myself how God sees me. I just don't know why he made me like this if he knew I would hate it so much. Wow. Right as that question came to that conclusion... I, I was getting the sense that the Lord was allowing you. Uh, can you read that last part of the question again? Yes. Um, I just don't know yeah. why. I just don't know why he made me like this if he knew I would hate it so much. He made you like this 
so that the glory of God could be revealed in your body, and so that the lie that has afflicted you, which afflicts so many, many, many other people, so that that lie could be cast out of your life, and so that you could be a witness to others of the glory of God revealed through their bodies. This is, this is you might say, the, the, the cross, you are in the crosshairs of the battle between truth and lies for your own dignity as a child of God. That is where you are. You are right in these crosshairs, and the enemy is fighting to pull you down into believing this lie, which is everywhere on display in our culture, everywhere in the culture, it seems. We're being lied to, lied to, lied to about the meaning of our bodies. If you don't look this way, you're not lovable. That is a lie. Mm. And the Lord made you the way he made you so that you can be a light on a hill that triumphs over that lie. Your very reaching out to us is an indication that you want to be victorious over this lie. And believe you me, I know well because I've been raised in the same culture that has lied to me. It's impacted me profoundly about the way I understand my own body. It's impacted the way I understand your body, Wendy, and it's caused you pain. It's caused me pain. It's caused us pain. Those lies are real. I know how deep those, those uh, diabolical tentacles go mm. that want to, to, to crush the life out of us. And I also know that grace goes deeper and that grace can change the way we see the world, ourselves, our bodies, and the bodies of others. But it means, and you've already demonstrated courage, it means courage in facing the depths of those lies. It means courage in facing the origin of those lies. I might suggest to this person who's submitted this question that you don't go poking around in your own heart on your own. I, 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 that's not advisable because we can't face these lies on our own. As my spiritual director often says to me, Christopher, go within with him. Go within with Jesus. Let Jesus speak to you. I, I'd suggest maybe take 10 minutes a day where you quiet your heart and you just present this lie that you've believed that you are unlovable because of your body, that your body, the way your body is, makes you unlovable. I would present that lie to the light of Jesus's love and just say, Lord, when did this lie enter my life? Where did this lie come from? And Jesus, I trust that you, as you say in the scripture, you came to undo the work of the enemy. This lie is the work of the enemy in your life. Present it to Jesus. Jesus, when did this lie come into my life? And how, Jesus, how are you going to undo it? Hmm. I present my heart to you. I've been so wounded by this lie. I give my heart to you, my wounded heart to you, Lord. And I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord, for you to take me wherever I need to go to undo the work of the enemy in my life who has lied to me. I would do that. 10 minutes a day. Do it for the next 30 days and see what happens. Mm. And I believe, I'll give you a little 30-day challenge here. Spend 
10 minutes a day for the next 30 days. And I bet you within, within a week, it'll become a half an hour and then it might become 45 minutes and then it might become an hour because the Lord, I believe, is going to speak to your heart. Mm -hmm. It might be through certain memories that come to your mind, painful memories, perhaps. I would imagine they would be painful if you're, if the Lord is showing you where the lies coming in. But the Lord does not show us painful memories ever to condemn us. He never shows us painful memories to pour salt on our wounds. He shows us painful memories in order to pour, pour oil on our wounds. Mm. And when you find yourself in that place of going to a painful memory, and you experience the Lord pouring that oil on that painful memory, you'll find maybe a half an hour or even an hour has passed, and you thought it was just a few minutes. The Lord wants to speak to you. He wants to cast that lie out from your life. So maybe in that quiet 10 minutes, start with 10 minutes, maybe you'll have a memory. Maybe you'll hear lyrics to a song. Maybe you'll see a scene from a movie. Uh, pay attention to anything that's speaking to your heart. Pay attention to your own body. Are you closing in on yourself or are you find yourself are you finding yourself relaxing and opening to the presence of the Lord who loves you and made you? so that your body can triumph over the lie of the enemy and that you can be a witness to others. Mm. Wendy, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, all is beautiful. I've often been helped by Psalm 139, that beautiful prayer of gratitude to the Lord for making us as he's made each one of us. Um, that it speaks to my heart reading that psalm and thanking the Lord for his goodness in creating us. And that's truth. And that's what we're talking about is recognizing that there are a lot of lies about our bodies. Um, and so I think one of the gifts of this time of prayer will be a, a new awareness of these lies that are surrounding us. But I hope also there will be a gift of seeing beauty in all all the many people around you who also are not stick skinny mm, mm, mm. and yet who shine a particular light that the Lord has given them to shine in this world that blesses us, that blesses others, a new appreciation for how God sees us. How beautiful. Lord, Lord, show us who we really are. Give us eyes to see who we really are. We look at one another and we look at ourselves, but we so often, we do not see. So often we look and we do not see. But we trust, Lord, we trust in the good news that you came to give sight to the blind. We lift up this dear listener of our podcast, this person who submitted this question, and we ask that this person in particular would have his or her eyes opened, opened to see, to see himself or herself as you see him or her, Lord. Please, yes. this is our prayer. Mm -hmm. Each and every one of us are indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable in the eyes of the Lord. This is who we really are, and that is revealed through our bodies. And those parts of our bodies that we think most ugly, most unlovable, most shameful, even most disgusting. 
these parts of our bodies, the Lord wants to reveal his glory through them. St. Paul even says something similar here. He says, those parts of our body that we think are less honorable, these parts of, the, of our body deserve all the greater honor because God has bestowed on these parts of the body the greater glory. The enemy is so greedy. He wants us to hate our bodies so much that he gives his plan away. Why else would he be after our bodies if they weren't so valuable in the eyes of God? Hmm. So this is our prayer for you, dear listener, that you would know that you, your very body was created by God to reveal his glory. May all our listeners out there know that you are indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable. Become what you are. Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.